Hello, you're listening to the podcast of Bay Ridge Christian Church. Each Sunday, our aim is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ from the text of the Bible and to catalyze the hearts of our hearers to love and gratitude towards God and all of His creation. We hope you enjoy this teaching, and we pray that you will be encouraged to trust in Jesus today. Amen. We're going to be, uh, again, taking another week off from the Gospel of Mark. We will be coming back to it soon. But this week, kind of as a follow-on from last week, I wanted us to take a look at Colossians chapter 4. We're just going to look at Colossians 4, 2 through 6. This is actually another passage that I love. I memorized many years ago. Uh, Just a really important little section here. Uh, towards the end of Paul's letter to the Colossians. So it'll be up here on the screen. It's in your booklet, and you can follow along in your Bible. Uh, I am using uh, the NIV uh, if you're following along. So encourage you, hear now the word of the living God. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. One of the important things that kind of guides the way we think and act in life is metaphors. Metaphors are where, you know, you kind of compare something to to something else. You use one thing to describe something about another thing. And they're really, really important because when we start thinking in terms of metaphors, they they control what we view as possible or how we dominantly think about something. There are some real problems in metaphors. For example, today, many of the metaphors we use for ourselves, for human beings, are actually machine metaphors. We compare our brains to computers. Um, We compare our bodies to various types of machines, and those metaphors are bad because we are not like machines. It's kind of interesting that we made machines and now we're kind of forming ourselves back into their image. They're bad metaphors because we're not like machines, but when we start thinking of ourselves in those terms, it can lead us to an unbalanced way of living. Well, the same thing is true. There are many metaphors in the Scripture for the church. Uh, we, We need all of them to have a balanced picture of who the church is and what we are like. If we only focus on certain metaphors, then we may be strong at one area, but not be balanced uh, in a full-orbed way, the way that the Lord wants. So last week, we looked at the church as a community, which fits with, you know, the church is seen as the people of God. We are seen as a family. We refer to each other as brothers and sisters, uh, as the body of Christ. All of those are important metaphors for the church, and they speak of a real relationality and a love and care for one another, which is important, and we need to remind ourselves of that regularly to have that built up. But there are other metaphors in the Scripture, 
And today I want to take a look at one of those, and that is the, the church as the people of God on mission, the church as the, the army of God, if you will. We, we read much in the scripture about spiritual warfare and our call towards that. It's not a physical warfare, it's a spiritual warfare, but that metaphor is also important because if we don't have that, we can become ingrown and insulated as a community, which we don't want to have. We need to always be focused outward. And so today we're going to take a look at that via this text in Colossians 4. So let's dive in and look at uh, being on mission together. Notice in Colossians 4.2, the Apostle Paul tells us, first off, we are to be devoted to personal prayer. Now, what's interesting, and this is a little hard to see sometimes in your English Bibles, if you notice in the NIV, uh, you know, it's devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, period, and pray for us, which is another sentence, and then there's a third sentence. Well, actually, verses uh, two to four are one sentence in the Greek, and the, and the only verb, uh, full verb, is the word devote, or be devoted to. And it is specifically being devoted to prayer. Now, this, this word to be devoted to something means to stick by, to be close at hand, to be ready for something. It was actually used last week in the text we looked at for community. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. That description of the early church uses the exact same word as Paul uses here. Um, it's also used, for example, to get a picture of what the, the word means. In Acts chapter 10, we have the story of Cornelius. You remember he was the centurion who had a vision and was told to call for the apostle Peter. An angel came to him and said, go send for Peter and he's going to explain the gospel to you. And um, so Cornelius, we're told, had an attendant or a servant, and it's built on the same word. It's a person who was ready, so when he said, hey, come here, that person was devoted. They were standing by. They were at the ready. It's the same word as is used here. So if you picture a centurion who's got a, an assistant, a servant, who's always there ready for his beck and call, that's what Paul is telling us, but we are always to be ready. First off, he says... For prayer. And what's interesting is 50% of the time that the word devoted is used in the New Testament, this particular Greek word, 50% of the time, one out of two, is to be devoted to prayer. It's as much as every other thing we're called to be devoted to in the entire New Testament. So the Lord is saying something to us about being ready to pray. So the Christian life is to be devoted to prayer, and that means that that should be a challenge to you and me. I'm going to bring this up later. You know, here, here's a dirty secret for, for people who preach for a living. If you want to make the church feel guilty, mention prayer and evangelism, both of which I'm going to mention today, but not because I'm trying to make us feel guilty, but because if I were to say, who in here thinks they pray enough? There's probably not going to be a lot of hands go up. And if I say, who thinks they share the gospel enough? Probably not a lot of hands go up. But the point is not guilt. The point is for us to be encouraged and to recognize the Lord tells us, and he says this over and over again, that the Christian life at its heart includes communion with God, us being able to talk to the Lord. And so there is a challenge for us in our prayer lives because prayer does not come easily or naturally to us, particularly in our modern age. 
in previous ages, people thought more in terms of prayer. And there were, you know, very often, you know, in, in, the, uh, in the old days, you would hear church bells ringing, and they were a reminder that it was a time to go to prayer. The church was coming to prayer. That still goes on some. You know, there are some places where church bells ring, but, but we don't have those kind of reminders anymore as often. But it's really important for us to be people of prayer. Now, Paul goes on and he mentions two traits of prayer. And these are not commands. They're not verbs like the, you know, the word devote yourselves or be devoted to prayer is a command. It's what, what's known as an imperative. Paul is saying, I'm commanding you be devoted to prayer. These two are not commands. They're, they're uh, participles, not important so much on the Greek, but they go along with it. They're characteristics. They describe if you're going to be devoted to prayer, here's two key things that need to go along with that. Number one, he says you're to be watchful, which means, you know, be alert, be vigilant, be paying attention. It's the same word that Jesus used, remember, in the garden, Peter, James, and John. I want you to watch and pray. It, it's related to prayer very, very often in the Scripture. You can actually see in, in Revelation where there's the letters to the churches. One of the churches is specifically told, you, better, you, you need to be alert, you need to watch, you need to, to be vigilant here. Uh, I'm, I'm calling you to that. And that's exactly what's going on here. Now what Paul seems to be doing here, because this first part of prayer, as we're going to see, is actually about my personal prayer life, me praying regarding my communion and my walk with Christ. We're going to move to praying for the gospel to go forward in just a minute. But that means I need to see what's happening in my own life and pray. I need to be open to what's happening with me. Every one of us, we have good days and bad days, days where we're happy and days where we're emotionally struggling, days where we feel close to the Lord, days where we're struggling with sin, whatever else. We're paying attention to that. Paul says, be watchful, note what is happening in your life, and then pray, commune with God about that. So it includes both a defensive watching, if I can put it that way, which is in other words, the enemy is trying to work here in me, perhaps in my marriage, perhaps in my family or in this relationship. I sense that the enemy is trying to undermine something and I'm watching, I'm noting, I'm paying attention and I'm now engaging in prayer regarding that. It also includes what we could refer to as a positive watcher and offensive. Noticing where God is at work and he seems to be stirring something up in me and my life and my family and praying for that. We don't take for granted something that's going on. If you remember when we studied the book of Daniel, um, Daniel discerned from the scripture that the captivity was going to last 70 years. This had already been spoken. God had promised. He had written it through Jeremiah. But when Daniel counted up and said, hey, we're approaching 70 years, he didn't say, therefore, I'm just going to sit back, get some popcorn, pack my suitcase, and watch what God does. No, we're told he actually went into prayer and fasting regarding what God had already even revealed in the scripture. So if we see God is at work somewhere, that is a call to prayer. Also, if we see the enemy seems to be at work somewhere, that is a call to prayer. So that's the first thing he says. As you're praying, you got to be watching. you got to be paying attention. Number two, very important thing, he says, and be 
thankful, being watchful and thankful. This is the sixth time. Colossians is a short letter. You could sit down and read Colossians in probably five minutes. This is the sixth time Paul mentions being thankful. Okay? You can, it's a big tip. You can save yourself a lot of Bible school by just saying if you count something up and they keep repeating it a lot, probably really important. Well, Paul in this letter is saying being thankful is really, really important. This is a central aspect of the Christian life. I remember reading uh, one of John Calvin's commentaries, I think it was on this particular verse, where he was saying that this is an aspect of the Christian life that is not focused on enough, and yet it is central to what it means to be a Christian and how we walk with God. Us offering thanks. So it means if we're watchful, we're going to see things happening in our own life, in, the, in, our, in our marriages, in our family, in our relationships, for which we should be giving thanks to God. It is a critical aspect of our prayers. A thankful heart leads to praying lips. And if my lips are not engaged in prayer, one of the things I need to probably check is how grateful am I for what God is doing in my life? Am I paying attention? Am I actually offering him praise uh, and thanksgiving for what he is already doing in my life? So our participation in mission begins with, and it's fueled by personal prayer, because I can't participate in the mission of Jesus unless I'm walking with him each day. There's no, you know, far distant thing that, hey, I'm going to be on mission with Jesus, but I don't really spend much time with him. I don't talk to him. I don't open the scripture. I don't commune with him in prayer. It all begins with personal me being with Jesus. And again, the point here is not guilting it's the astounding thing. The God of the universe is open to hear you and talk with you. We, we, we skip by that far too quickly and far too often. We, we have a hard enough time getting our friends even to pick up the phone when we call half the time and everything else. God never puts you and I on hold, ever. It is a massive privilege for us. So, so this is not guilt. This is saying tomorrow morning when your eyes pop open, it's as if God is standing there saying, do you want to talk? Don't say no. <laughs> Take a little bit of time and, and dive into prayer. Second thing that is part of us doing that is praying for our mission together. Now, again, this is all actually part of the same sentence. It's, I, want, I command you, be devoted to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and praying for us. It's all one sentence. So I'm telling you, be watchful and thankful. I'm telling you in your own life. But I'm also telling you, you need to be praying for our mission together. That's another description. Be watchful, be thankful, but be praying for our mission together. Because my life is not only to be focused on personal issues, but on our mission together to reach our area and the nations with the gospel. And so notice Paul says here, pray for us too that God may open a door for our message. See, this is, I love, Paul focuses so much on the sovereignty of God. But at the same time, that does not mean we just take things for granted. No, God is sovereign. He's able to open a door. Therefore, I ask him to open the door. 
I'm asking him to make a way open for the gospel to go forth. So he's asking this Coloss- these Colossians, notice, pray, we need a door open so that I can be able to share uh, what he refers to here as the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. That's, That's a pretty amazing phrase when you think about it. I'm locked up. I'm in jail. It's because of the gospel. But here's what's really, really important. Notice he doesn't even say pray that I get out of my chains. Pray that the gospel goes forth. Uh, In another place he says the the word of God is not bound. I'm bound like a criminal, but thanks be to God his word is not bound. But I'm asking you pray that the message would go forth. Pray not that my prison doors would be open, so to speak, but any doors that are preventing the gospel from going forth, pray that God would throw them open. And then Paul even says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Pretty amazing. Like, you know, you could say, uh, you are aware, Paul, you're writing like two-thirds of the New Testament, right? I mean, you seem to know the message pretty well. You've been doing this for a while. But notice Paul says, no, I need the Holy Spirit to empower me, to help me proclaim the gospel clearly as I should. So if I were to ask all of you for just a moment, does anybody in here sometimes feel inadequate to reach out to others with the gospel? If so, you're in really good company. The Apostle Paul is right there with you. And he's saying, but it's okay. We can pray for one another. Pray that I would proclaim the gospel clearly. Pray God would help me to understand and know how to speak the gospel. And so notice here, this aspect of prayer is for others who are sharing the gospel. It's not even so much about myself right now. We're going to come to that in a moment. But the primary focus is here is praying for Paul and his team. Pray for us. Pray that there'd be open doors for the message. Pray that we can proclaim the message clearly. He's asking the Colossians to pray for him to be able to do it. Now, this includes us. You know, we regularly are praying for our missionaries. And I say, please pray for the missionaries, not just during the meeting on Sunday, every day. You know, we threw up that thing, the 1040 window. There are over 2 billion people on the planet right now, if they say, I want somebody to proclaim the gospel to me clearly, they can't find a Christian in their local village. 2 billion. So if you're not sure what to pray for, I just gave you enough for the rest of your life. Just that one thing. Okay? We are to be engaged in this. We pray for our missionaries. I encourage you, please join in each Sunday when we're doing that. Please do it each and every day. But it also includes us praying for mission efforts here locally. So I want to encourage you this week, pray for Indonesia and the missionary we're doing, but pray for the county fair each and every day as we are trying. If the Apostle Paul needed doors to be opened, so do we. If the Apostle Paul needed help from the Holy Spirit to proclaim the gospel clearly, so do we. And we're going to see some more ways that he describes that in just a moment. So uh, it includes praying for mission efforts here locally. I encourage you as well, you know, we're, we're doing some other things as a congregation. Some of us have been initiating some relationships at Georgetown East, the local elementary school, and they're 
seem to be wonderful doors opening up there, but we want to pray that God would do that specific thing, that God would enable us to be able to reach out and serve, and even pray not just for our congregation here locally, there are good things happening in a number of communities. The, many of you are aware, you know, that I help gather pastors for prayer in our area, and we've been going around. Like, the, this, some people think this sounds crazy, but like a murder happens, we're on texting, and then we're showing up the next week. A couple of weeks ago, I was standing literally where the most recent murder had happened, the little memorial thing was hitting me in the back while we were praying because we're asking God this is a place it doesn't take being watchful and thankful it doesn't take a lot of insight to say somebody literally got killed here this is a place that needs prayer right here this place this time churches are banding together and laboring and working in different communities in this area trying to see new churches planted seeing the gospel break forth pray for our area. Does Annapolis need the gospel? Friends, Annapolis, it needs it. You don't have to go to the 1040 window to be on mission. You are on mission the second you walk out this door. You and I are on mission. There are plenty. There are literally hundreds of thousands of people within half an hour of this building that do not know the gospel, that, that, that are not walking with Jesus Christ. So there's an opportunity. Pray for what is going on locally. And we'll see in just a moment, we're praying for ourselves and doing that. So our mission together is fueled by prayer for the mission to be accomplished. And there may be someone who's actually listening right now. We have a number of, uh, of members in our church that are quite elderly or infirm and can't even come here. There are people who can barely get out of their bed. You can be on mission. Okay, I used to be a Marine. I'm at the age now where, you know, if we got down to the place that we need me to pick up a pack and go to the front line, we are probably in trouble as a culture. Okay, there, there are things, you, but you know what? You can be on the front line of mission even if you're bedridden because you can pray. You can be engaged in the mission by prayer. That is something that is open to every Christian. Third area that Paul brings up is us personally sharing the gospel with others. I told you, you know, the two areas that can make us feel guilty, well, now we're going to hit the second one, evangelism. Notice he shifts in verse 5, and this is another sentence, and so we actually get another verb. There's only two verbs in this whole passage, which are to be devoted to prayer, and the second one is to uh, walk in wisdom is literally what it says in the Greek. The actual verb is walk. And you walk in wisdom is how we are to do it. The, the NIV has it as be wise. But it's that metaphor, you know, that when you walk, he's talking about the way you're living your life. And the Apostle Paul says, you need to walk in wisdom. But this is not walking in wisdom so that I know to not get in debt or uh, you know, which decision do I make? Those are important things, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about walking in wisdom as it relates to personal evangelism and outreach. Now, how do we know that? Notice what he says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, people who are not yet 
part of God's people. Making the most of every opportunity. This is a very interesting phrase. It's, the, the Greek has two words for time. There's the word chronos, which you've all probably heard like a chronometer. That just means time. And then there's another word, kairos, which means those moments in time that are more special. We all recognize there are those moments in time, right? Like tomorrow, what, what is tomorrow? 9-11. Does anybody remember 9-11-2001? Okay. Who remembers what was happening on 9-10-2001? Uh, Nobody. But we all remember 9-11. That, that's, that's a different type of time. That's a, a moment in time that stands out. And Paul says we actually have those kind of things around us. And so the actual phrase is buying back that time redeeming that time. He uses the same phrase in Ephesians, but it means, look, there are those moments where an opportunity opens up, and he's talking about evangelism. Notice he goes on in verse 5 and says, let your conversation, and this is not the old King James conversation, meaning my type of life. No, this is, this is words. We're in, a, we're in a discussion with somebody, and Paul's telling us what it's like. And then notice he says, so that you can answer everyone. People are asking questions. All of this makes it clear that this walking in wisdom is regarding evangelism. So he's told the Colossians, you need to pray for us to be able to proclaim the message. But I'm telling you, you need to be ready to do the same thing yourself. And you're going to do that by being um, by, by walking in wisdom. And this flows naturally from the prayers. You've been praying for your own walk. You've been praying for how the, the message can be open for me to share. Now I'm telling you, then have your eyes open because you're supposed to be out sharing the gospel personally as well. And so our mission begins in the prayer, but each one of us are called to reach out to others with the good news, sharing the truth and how God is at work in our lives. And that's what I said. It's each one of us. So here is both good and bad news for you. You do not have to go take a spiritual gifts questionnaire and find out if you have the spiritual gift of evangelism. This is not about that. If you're breathing, you're called to this. If you're breathing and you are saved, we are called to be reaching out to other people with the good news of Jesus Christ because they are perishing without it. Okay? So this is a call for each and every one of us. And notice there's several key ingredients he gives to us here of what this uh, you know, requires. Number one, we're to be wise in our behavior, okay? Be wise in our behavior. Our lives are either lending credibility to the gospel or they are undermining the gospel. They're doing one or the other. And Paul here is saying, be, be wise in the way you behave, we're going to see he brings up our words and what my attitudes are. Do my attitudes and my words and my actions adorn the gospel, promote the cause of the gospel, or do they make a person say, if that's what it means to be a believer, I don't want anything to do with that? Paul says, consider, it's not just a matter of your own personal behavior. Your behavior is either promoting the cause of the gospel or obstructing the cause of the gospel. Walk in wisdom. And so we also need wisdom in what to speak about and when. And do you know, as you're watching our culture right now, we need that wisdom more than ever before. 
right? I mean, I'm 62, been walking in this culture for a while. I find myself regularly needing more and more wisdom how to interact with people and what to say and when to say it and how to, to say things. And there's all kinds of stuff because what Paul might be saying in our thing today is perhaps getting on the internet and flaming somebody may not be the wisest way to promote the cause of the kingdom. It may actually obstruct the cause of the kingdom. But condoning what people are doing is not going to promote the cause of the kingdom either, which is why we've got to have wisdom in how to, uh, to, to be able to engage and interact. And this is why I need to be in prayer, and I need to be asking the Lord to lead and guide me. Second thing he mentions is making the most of these opportune moments. Again, this is, you know, you're, how much time are each of us going to experience tomorrow? It's not a trick question. How much time we got tomorrow? How much time does Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos, the richest men in the world, have tomorrow? 24 hours. They can't buy another second. Okay? We've got to, but in your life and mine, there's going to be opportune moments particularly for sharing the gospel. Most evangelism is a matter of sensing opportune moments when the Spirit is opening a door for us. And say, I've been praying for an open door. Here is an open door. It is not what we oftentimes think. Part of why we get nervous about evangelism is we think it means I have to find somebody at the most embarrassing possible moment and accost them. That's not what we're talking about here. Okay, because unlike in certain places like in the 1040 winter, there are people who've never heard the gospel. Most people today in Anne Arundel County have heard the gospel. They, they have heard the actual understanding. They, they know the, the basics of it. But there are going to be moments where a door is open and we can be there and speak truth, encouragement, grace, clear away misunderstandings for them, um, and just share what God is doing in our life. Oftentimes, this is because somebody is hurting or searching or asking questions. It, it can be any moment that is going on in life and just saying, I just want to be there. I want to sense what is happening. And then, Lord, let me have the right words to be able to speak into that. Maybe something as simple as praying with somebody because they just lost a loved one or some shattering thing has just come into their life and being more open than saying, well, I hope that works out for you. No, no can, I, can I pray for you? Is there a way I can reach out to you? Or somebody is just struggling with confusion. Life is not working for them. And for us to be there and be gracious uh, and kind and, and, and open to be able to minister to them. It is amazing how often that works to open somebody's heart to the gospel. So Part of being on mission is praying and looking for these opportune moments, just saying, hey, the Holy Spirit seems to have opened the door. Third thing Paul mentions is that we are wise in our behavior, we're making the most of opportune moments, and then he says when that opportune moment comes, we use properly seasoned speech. It's an interesting phrase. He says, let your conversation be full of grace. And the way he does it in the Greek, I won't go into the technicalities of it, but it could be that the conversation is constantly about the topic of grace, or it could be that the way I'm speaking about the gospel is gracious in my manner of speech. And I would say the answer is yes. It's not good. Speaking about grace 
in a non-gracious way is <laughs> ludicrous. That's, that's not being wise, okay? And what should be central in our sharing of the gospel with people? Friends, it is grace. We, yes, we may have to share it. We may have to speak the law, but we always end with the gospel. We are gospel people. We are, I, I seriously wonder how unbelievers in this world, it is a broken, messed up world. I don't know how people get by apart from grace. And, and we, are, we are struggling in a culture that is becoming more and more hyperjudgmental. Who is glad that God is not watching and the next time you say or do something wrong that the angel Gabriel doesn't pop up and say, you're canceled? I mean, right? I mean, none of us would make it out of bed every morning, right? And let's just be honest, you know. I'd wake up and Gabriel would be there, yep, yep, I'm already here because <laughs> I know what's coming. Man, thanks be to God, that is not the way the gospel operates. That is good news in a culture that is becoming so hyper-judgmental. We need to be ready to speak words that are full of grace. But notice Paul also says, look, that doesn't mean that your words are some kind of just, you know, the, not, not to pick against him, you know, but Mr. Rogers, you know, that you're so gentle and you're so kind and nobody can ever imagine you saying anything difficult. He uses this phrase, let them be seasoned with salt. And that was a well-known phrase in the ancient world. That phrase being seasoned with salt actually meant speech that was kind of witty. It was a witty comeback to someone. It meant that as you were having a conversation and they tried to say something, you had a good response back to it. And that was called seasoning your, your speech with salt. And that's what Paul is telling us. It's actually really, really similar, I think, to speaking the truth in love. I'm, I'm gracious, I am loving, but I also am speaking the truth. Because sometimes I need to say, you're hurting right now because you're doing things that are destructive in your own life, and it's not what God has created you for. This is not what the Lord wants you to experience in your life. But we need to do that in a kind and gracious manner, which is not the guy that we see, you know, standing on the street corner, you know, God can't wait to send you to hell, okay? Well, we're lacking something here, okay? We need to be speaking truth in love. We need to, yes, there's going to be graciousness, but it is going to be seasoned with salt. And the last thing that Paul says, so that we may know how to answer others. As we walk in a wise biblical manner, and as we are sharing with others, they may have questions. And this is going to be even more true. Our culture has had kind of certain Christian presuppositions that have been in the air, that people kind of understood if you're paying attention, that is becoming less and less and less the case. And so the truths of the gospel are oftentimes not even making sense to people right now. Uh, th this is the kind of thing that is sometimes referred to as a worldview or a social imaginary. It means I have a way of thinking about the world that some things seem to automatically make sense and some things don't make sense. Unfortunately, the things that are increasingly not making sense are called truth. The scripture, the way things actually are. 
And that means as we're trying to share people, we're, we're, you remember last week I used the analogy of before uh, Copernicus and Kepler, what did everybody think was the center of the universe? The earth, right? And there's a lot of reasons. They're like, look, everything's moving around us, right? We can track it. We watch it move. So, and we're not moving. I mean, we're just standing here. And then when you're trying to say, actually, that's not the way it is. <laughs> okay, actually, the sun's at the center. We're moving around it. And that's why, I look. what? You're probably going to have some questions back. That's almost the way it is today with truth. People are like, what, 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 what do you mean? I thought this was the center. And we have to say, well, no, that's not actually the way it is. Uh, now, listen, this does not mean where that analogy breaks down is you don't have to be an astrophysicist to explain the gospel. Most of us are not wrestling with all of these highly technical questions. Let's be honest. We're just trying to get through life, right? Guess what your neighbors are wrestling with? Just trying to get through life. Most of them are, uh, you know, not reading the new atheists and they've got all these highly technical questions. If they do, you can say, hey, I'll be glad to, let, let, me, let me put you in touch with somebody. I heard the testimony of a, a scholar that recently came to faith. And when she had, uh, she was going to church and she was asking questions of the former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, who leads a massive church down in Carolina, and is a really sharp dude, okay? But she was pressing and asking questions because she was a scholar. And very often, he gave the very wise, holy, gracious, season with salt answer, I don't know, but I will find something out. And he was smart enough to say, I don't know, but let me introduce you to my friend Tim Keller. He probably does know because he's an egghead who thinks about this kind of stuff. And the result of all that at the end was she became a believer. But, but notice, I mean, I loved that this pastor of a massive church who'd been the, the head of the Southern Baptist Convention and had enough humility to say, yeah, you got me there. <laughs> You're a little bit deeper thinker than I am, but I can put you in touch with somebody who's wrestled with that. I can, I can but most people, that's not what they're doing. Most people just want to understand why, why do you believe this? What do you think? How is it that you believe God is at work in your life? But every one of us are called to be part of that. So let, let's go to applying the word, which will be brief, and then we're going to come to the Lord's table. And you know, the, the first thing is just a question. Am I on mission with the church? Am I on mission with the church? The church is called to be a family, a body, a flock, all speaking of care and concern, and that's really, really important. And we are all called to be part of that. But one of the challenges is we live in a consumer culture. We, you know, we, we, we play sports less and less. We consume sports more and more. I just watch other people be athletic as I eat potato chips and drink beer and <laughs> get worse, worse shape, right? That, that's how we're doing it. That bleeds over into everything we're doing, and it can make me approach the faith as a consumer. What's Jesus doing for me? Well, the Lord is working in our life, but we're not here to be consumers. We are being shaped, and we are being formed. This is why that other metaphor is important. We are part of the mission. We're not paying for somebody else to be on mission. We are part of the mission. 
because as we say every week, we are blessed to be a blessing. It's not you're blessed, pray for somebody else to be a blessing. Every one of us are blessed by God, but we are to be channels of blessing to others, and that's part of what this is doing. So we have to periodically do a checkup and say, are we staying on mission together? This is just part of a normal part of life. We gotta, it's like an annual checkup. How am I doing here? So how involved am I in God's mission in the world today through the church? That's just a question for every one of us to ask. How personally involved am I in that? And of course, the answer that comes out of the way to check that um, in this passage is how engaged am I in prayer and evangelism? There are other parts to the mission. There are other things that we spoke about. But in this passage, it's prayer and evangelism. And so am I engaged in the mission through prayer? Just want to encourage you. Again, this is not about creating guilt for us. But tomorrow, am I going to commune with God in prayer? It's a massive privilege to do so. But am I regularly praying and seeking God's will and ways and his voice in my own life? Am I just asking the Lord to speak to me or am I just kind of stumbling through life and trying to make it? Okay. Um, am I praying for God's mission through the church? Now I want to, you know, there's a danger, okay, uh, most of us, you know, if, if we get a bad report from a doctor and we're, and we're going to take it seriously and they're like, you know, you got to watch your diet and you got to start exercising, there's a temptation that what I want to do is I'm going to go on this severe diet and I'm going to work out like an Olympic athlete and this will last for a day and a half <laughs> because it's an impossible standard for me to meet right now. Don't do that with this. It's a simple thing. This week, if you say, you know what, this is an area where I need to stir up and grow, then just say, I'm going to take a few minutes each day to pray for the outreach at the county fair and for our missionary in Indonesia. I'm just going to take just five minutes to do that each day this week. And, and ask the Lord to encourage and strengthen you to do this. Start where you are. And I want to encourage you, God is an encouraging father. Okay? He's not the father that looks and says, you got on the bike and I took the training wheels off and you fell over because you're dumb. He's not that guy. He's encouraging. Hey, let's get back up. You can do this. I'm here beside you. I'm going to help you. The Lord is encouraged when you join the mission and prayer. So take this week and wherever you're at, grow a little bit in that area. Second area, evangelism. It's not for the few. It's for everybody. Everybody is to be engaged in this, and we all have opportunities. Every one of us in this room know people who are not currently walking with Jesus Christ. Every one of us know people who are in that place. School, if, if you're a young person in school, you've got kids around you. You can start praying for your best friend who's not a believer. You can reach out to them and share the gospel. Uh, co-workers, friends, family, all of you are doing it. And here's the good news. There is no question the Holy Spirit is at work in the people around you. Guaranteed, He is at work. The Holy Spirit is always on mission. He is always at work doing this. The question is, do I have my eyes open? Am I noticing where He's there? Am I noticing, hey, that door's open. That door was never open before, but now it is 
open. I'd encourage you to do that. Look for an opportunity. It can be as simple as just inviting somebody to a church gathering. Okay, they, they differ a little bit in the statistics, but you know the number one, when they ask people, so hey, you're involved in this church, how did you become part of this church? You know what the number one response is? So, yeah, a friend invited me. <laughs> it, it was not, uh, I got targeted by a Google campaign. It was not, the pastor reached out to me. It was not, I was, you know, needing intellectual brilliance on Sunday morning. It's none of that. Yeah, a friend invited me. That was a couple of years ago, and here I am now. That's the number one way. It's as simple as just inviting someone, and you'd be surprised even today the number of people that are open to that. We are right now, you should be aware, the largest number of Americans ever that were regularly going to church and have stopped going to church is while you're alive right now. It's what's being known as the great de-churching. But here's the amazing thing. What you hear on the news is people who've deconstructed their faith, that's less than 10% of the people. They're loud. They have bullhorns. They're standing on the street corner. They are not the typical person. The typical person's like, yeah, I don't know why I quit going. I just, you know, are you open to going? Yeah. What if a friend invited you? Yeah, I'd probably go. That's the overwhelming majority, and it's like we're talking like 40 million Americans are in this group. This is, not, this is not a rare group of people. You are interacting with them every day, and so am I. So look for that, and, and be willing to just share with somebody. If somebody's in a moment of grief, just be there and reach out and pray. I remember at work, this was shortly before I became pastor, I, you know, when I was still programming computers, woman walked in one morning. I was the only other person in the office because I was the first guy there. She walked in. I just said, hey, how are you doing? And she burst into tears. Not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I was like, okay, this might be an opportune moment. <laughs> Something is clearly going on. Unfortunately, she had just miscarried that weekend. We didn't even know that she was pregnant, but she had just miscarried. So I just went in, sat down, asked her if it'd be okay if I prayed with her. I wasn't pastor guy. I wasn't. Any, I was just a coworker. I said, "Can I? Is it? Would you be okay if I prayed with you? I would really appreciate it if you prayed with me." It's just an open door. And then I just shared a little bit of the gospel and said, "Look, if you want to talk about this, God sees and knows your pain and would love to walk with you through this. Uh, and if you want to talk any, I'm here to talk with you about it. It's as simple." Is that. But I just want to encourage us, are we engaged in doing this? Don't make it complicated. The word of your testimony, how is God at work in your life? What do you do when everything's falling apart? How do you find solace, encouragement, strength? Being willing to open up and share that with somebody can be really, really powerful. And again, please, if, if you're feeling condemnation, that, that's not what the Lord wants to speak. He wants to speak a word of encouragement. It is so encouraging. If you've ever experienced sharing the gospel with someone, reaching out to someone. I had somebody recently just say, you know, they'd shared with a family member that they've been wanting to do it. And it's very encouraging to do that. There's something about being the person that just gets to reach out and share. And you're on mission. Yesterday we had the thing of Margot's son Gibson was baptized here and we were just commenting. I remember when she walked in, not understanding the gospel a couple years ago. Is that accurate what I'm saying? Very accurate that was. That's right. She, but 
when she got saved, God's on mission in that family. God's on mission through you and me. Let's join in together. Now what we're going to do is we're going to come to the Lord's table, and what a great way for us to conclude. And it'll be simple this morning. And what we're actually going to do is the same thing we did last week, which is we're going to rehearse the gospel together. I've just taken some phrases out of 1 Corinthians 15 because we're on mission, praying for the gospel to prosper. We're on mission to be involved in sharing the gospel. And I want to remind us, this gospel is so simple, we're going to put it on one screen. It's not complex. We sinned. Christ died for our sins. Christ has been raised. He's going to come again. That's, that is the gospel. So we're going to stand and we're going to say this together and rehearse it as we do each week. And then we'll be seeing it visualized. And then we're going to ask the Lord to empower us. So let's confess the gospel of salvation together. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Christ was buried. Christ was raised on the third day. Christ appeared to many witnesses. Christ ascended in glory. Christ will come again. Amen? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel, and now I want to encourage you, you do not have to be a member of our congregation, but if you believe that, can you put that screen back up for just a second, uh, Danny? If you believe this, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, by this gospel you are saved. If you believe this, but I haven't been praying, come. If you believe this, I've not even been looking for open doors. Come. If you believe this and I've not been walking wisely, come. This is where we receive grace. This is where we receive strength and provision from our God. Brothers and sisters, what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup... You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're going to pass out the elements now. I remind you there's two in each cup. Make sure you grab one's got the bread and one's got the juice. Grab it and then let the Lord speak to you. If there's an area where the Spirit is speaking this morning, let him speak. Let him encourage and then let's come and, and celebrate the gospel and receive strength together. Um, I want to remind you as we come to this table, this table is referred to as many things. Um, one of the things that's referred to often in, in more liturgical churches is the Eucharist, which is the Greek word that means thanksgiving. So as we've just heard about our prayers and thanks, I want to encourage you, whatever the Lord's just been speaking to you by the Spirit, as we come, we're going to give thanks for Jesus Christ and for what he's done. And so as I, I pray these things here 
and, and pray along with thanksgiving for the gospel. Father, we give you thanks for our Lord Jesus Christ who took our flesh to work salvation for us. Lord, we give you thanks because in his body he fully obeyed you and was perfectly righteous. In his body he suffered for our sins. And in his body he was raised and is now seated at your right hand ever making intercession for us. In taking this bread, we profess our only hope of salvation is in our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, take and eat. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for your blood, which has sealed the new covenant, has paid for all of our sins and cleansed it away, and has made us members of your covenant people forever. Lord, how grateful we are for the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in taking this cup, we profess our only hope of salvation is in you, and we give you thanks for saving us. Brothers and sisters, take and drink. Let's stand together, and I'm going to be praying for the Holy Spirit to fasten this to us and to work in us. I remind us each and every week, these are sacramental symbols. The Lord is at work in us. So receive now uh, the blessing and power from your God. Lord, we are grateful for you and the gospel and for all you have done to save us. And we are also thankful that you have not left us as orphans, but have freely given us the Holy Spirit to encourage, to equip, and to empower us. So Lord, we ask that you would fill us anew. Lord, we ask that you would draw us near to you and you would speak to us each day. Lord, as we commune with you, I pray you would give us passion for your glory and compassion for the lost. Lord, open our eyes to see where you are at work around us so that we might make the most of every opportunity to share your gospel with others. Lord, we ask all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus, whose life, death, burial, and resurrection has provided this salvation for which we are so thankful. And God's people say, amen. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. May God fill your hearts with joy as you labor for him this week. You are blessed. Go forth and be a blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.